good. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Welcome to you. Welcome in the overflow. God bless you guys. Welcome in Perry, Oklahoma. I am planning a road trip out there in a couple of weeks. Look forward to meeting you guys in a Franklin campus. We love you so much. Uh, God bless you, Pastor Eric, uh, Natasha. We love you so much. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24, the very last chapter in the book of Joshua. And then in this house, take out your order of worship and look at the front. We're going to talk about something that's not new. It's a part of our life here at Woodburn Baptist Church. Uh, If you're not a part of our church but are watching or listening to this sermon, I want to understand that what I'm talking about with the Triple Two Challenge, it applies to you too. Something like this applies in your life. You simply can't grow as a Christian. You can't live a spiritual life if you're not committed to it. And commitment takes a certain shape, and it might be slightly different for everybody, but but some of it's going to be the same. And that's why at Woodburn we talk about the Triple Two Challenge. Look at your order of worship. Look at this front. I just want you to see this with me. I want you to understand my heart. Uh, I never want to be the pastor who sets a lot of rules for people. Jesus did not do that, and I don't want to do that. Jesus had one group of people that he continued to bump heads with every single day of his life and ministry on earth, and those people were the the Pharisees, and those are the people who made the rules. And Jesus always bumped heads with the rule makers. Jesus always bumped heads with the religion police. Jesus never wanted to lay burdens on people, and religious rules can be burdensome. And understand, from the very beginning, that is not my heart, and that's not our church's heart. And the triple two challenge is not about laying rules on people. I never want to organize the church in such a way where the Pharisees win. You understand? I don't want us to do things in such a way where the Pharisees win, where the Pharisees come out on top. At the same time, I know as pastor that a lot of people just simply say, what's expected of me? What should I do? How do I start? And the triple two challenge is a good way of talking about how, how I would recommend that you start, how we as a church sort of, uh, sort of just set out a standard for, for commitment. And it looks something like this. We call it the triple two challenge because it involves two different hours, two different uh, activities that you want to involve yourself in every single week. So the triple two challenge is a weekly commitment. The first two hours are two hours spent in worship. Two hours spent in worship. Uh, God bless you. Congratulations. You're about to fulfill your first hour for the week by being in worship here in in this house this morning. That's great. But I really think if you want to grow as a Christian, you you probably need at least another hour in worship sometime this week. At Woodburn Baptist Church, we offer three hours of public worship, so you've got three opportunities, and we encourage you to do at least two. Uh, So please, find another hour in worship. It, It might be in a small group. It might be in some setting I've never imagined. But if you want to grow as a Christian, I think you need to start with at least two hours a week in worship, followed by two hours in Bible study, two hours in Bible study and prayer. Now, if you hang around here after this service, we have Bible study groups for everybody in the 10 o'clock hour. Congratulations, we got a class for you, and that's going to be easy enough, but you're still going to need to find another hour sometime this week for prayer and Bible study. Here's what I'd recommend. I would recommend 10 minutes every single day. But break it up that way. Spend 10 minutes a day reading your own Bible, saying your own prayers, 10 minutes a day in prayer and Bible study. If you'll do that with the Sunday school, the 10 o'clock hour, you will fulfill a two-hour a week in prayer and Bible study. I think that's simply a great start and a very healthy commitment. The third two is very important. It's two hours in service. 
Two hours in service, that means two hours out of every week, you're going to do something for somebody else. You're going to serve. Jesus was a servant, and Jesus told his disciples to be servants, to live for others, to, to, to put others ahead of yourselves. You've got to do that. You've got to make that your lifestyle, the pattern of your week. So two hours every week in service now, chances are you'll find something to do around the church, around the Franklin campus or at Perry. You'll find some way to serve in the church. But, but listen to me. I don't want you so busy at church that you don't really serve the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? I don't want you so busy at, at church that you never get out and meet your neighbors, that you don't have time to have your neighbors over for supper and find out if they know the Lord. Do you understand? Don't get so busy at church that you don't really have time to serve the Lord in the place where God has planted you. So I encourage you to find a place to serve at church, but don't make all of your service here in the walls of this church. That's not the Christian life. That's something else. And I don't want you to be so preoccupied with being busy at church that you never manage to serve Christ outside the walls of this place. The triple two challenge, we call it. It's not new. If you've been with us for long, you've heard that, and I know many of you have made this the beginning of a pattern for your life. If you've never made a commitment like this, I'm asking you today to make a commitment to your own spiritual life. This is not a commitment to me. It's not a commitment to the church. It's not a commitment to anybody else. This is a commitment to Christ. And it is a commitment to your own spiritual life. There was an African pastor who was written up in this big article in, in Charisma magazine. It was, it was amazing because the church in Africa is experiencing an amazing revival. Now, for decades, uh, United States churches have sent missionaries to Africa, but the situation's about to flip. You understand that? Because churches in Africa are experiencing an amazing movement of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it's amazing. This African pastor was asked, though, why do you think that kind of revival doesn't happen in United States churches? Why does it not seem to happen in America? You know what the African pastor said about us, about why we don't see revival? He said, America has no time for God. Americans have no time for God. Is that true? Actually, it's not true. It's not true. Now, I know that in a way we think that's true, but we have the same time that everybody else in the world has. Are you listening to me? We all have the same 24-hour day. We all have the same seven-day week. We all have the same year. Do you understand? We all have exactly the same amount of time. It is not that Africans have more time. Africans have more commitment. Are you listening? It's not a time problem. It is a commitment problem. So let's talk about commitment. In Joshua chapter 24, open the word of God with me. Let's start in verse 14, go through about verse 28. Understand, this is Joshua's goodbye. It's, it's the last chapter of the book, and he literally is saying goodbye. This is his farewell to the people, and after this they will go, they will scatter, they will live throughout the promised land. Uh, farewell from Joshua here, and this is his, his departing words. Chapter 24, verse, verse 14, listen for the word of the Lord this morning. So fear the Lord and serve him, say the word, wholeheartedly. Say it again, wholeheartedly. Fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. 
But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Now understand, there aren't really any options. There's only one God, but he's at least saying, make up your mind. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to worship something. So choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, say it with me, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. Joshua makes his commitment. The people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes. As we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. Then Joshua warned the people, you're not able to serve the Lord. That just cracks me up. He says, are you going to serve the Lord? Are you, are you going to serve the Lord? You can't. It's amazing, but notice what he says. Joshua warned the people, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he'll turn against you and destroy you, even though he has been so good to you. Disobedience has consequences, do you understand? Verse 21, but the people answered, no, we will serve the Lord. You are a witness to your own decision, Joshua said. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied, we are witnesses to what we have said. All right then, Joshua said, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem committing them to follow the decrees and regulations of the Lord. Joshua recorded these things in the book of God's instructions. And as a reminder of their agreement, he took a huge stone, rolled it beneath the tabernacle tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, This stone has heard everything the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness to testify against you if you go back on your word to God. Then Joshua sent all the people away to their own homelands. Take your seats. Very interesting creature God made called the processionary caterpillar. Google it. Processionary caterpillar. It's an amazing animal because it's a, it's a caterpillar. You've seen caterpillars, and it's just a caterpillar, honestly, except it has a very strange habit. When processionary caterpillars are going to travel, they tend to go in a group, and they tend to travel in a, in a procession. That means they line up. And it's actually very interesting. They line up one behind the other. Basically what they do is they sort of half-close their eyes because they don't need their eyes. They sort of half-close their eyes. They tuck their head, and they just put their head right in the rear parts of the caterpillar in front of them. They just sort of plant their head right in the behind of the caterpillar in front of them, and then they just walk. 
and they go forever. They just walk in procession with, with one's head in the behind of the one in front of it. They just sort of walk, and that's how they go. Sometimes 300 caterpillars in a procession, and that's how they travel to find food. The processionary caterpillar was studied by a very famous French entomologist named Jean-Henri Faber. He's considered the father of entomology. Jean-Henri Faber got very interested in the processionary caterpillar, and he kind of decided to mess with them. Uh, and this is what all scientists do, they, they mess with things. And so he decided, what if I got a line of these caterpillars and I arranged them on the rim of a flower pot? And that's what he did. He, he just sort of fixed it where, you know, he took the front one and then, you know, put its head in the behind of the one in front of it, sort of lined them up. But then it turns out that the last one and the front one were also connected. So they were in a circle, you understand. And he just wondered, what would they do? How long would they march around in a circle before they finally realized, man, this guy's messing with us? And so he got them on the flower pot, and sure enough, they just started marching in a circle. You know, one's head right in the behind of the one in front of it. They just started marching in a circle. And they did that. They did that for a long time. Now, there was food in the pot. He put pine needles, which is what they eat. Pine needles are actually in the pot. So all they ever had to do was sort of raise their head, look to the left, and they would see food. They never did that. They walked in a circle for seven days and nights in his experiment. This line of caterpillars walked in a circle until they all died. They just died. They walked in a circle Round and around and around for seven days and seven nights, and then they died of starvation. Even though there was food right there, they never, ever looked. They never stopped. They just continued to walk in a circle with one's head buried in the behind of the one in front of it, and that's how they died. I bring that up for you because I think that sounds like a lot of churches I know and a lot of church people I, I, I know. A lot of churches just sort of, they just sort of walk in a circle around religious things. They walk in these sort of holy circles. And honestly, churches are amazing places to find people who just follow people. Churches are, are, are sort of interesting in the way we can get people so busy doing nearly nothing. I mean, we've got committees that you can be on, and we can have a committee meeting that can start on Saturday and run through Monday. I mean, we can have a committee meeting that will last till Jesus comes and never decide anything sometimes. We never decided anything. That was just taking prayer requests. A committee meeting that can just last forever. We can do that in the church. We can do it well. We can have business meetings that last forever. I mean, people just passing out and dying in the back, and, and, the, and the business meeting just rolls on and on and on. You ever been in churches like that? Oh, my goodness. We can make you so busy. We can have meetings. We can have worship services, and we can get you walking in a circle. We, if we can, we get you to sort of tuck your head and half close your eyes and just sort of put your, your head in the behind of the person in front of you. And if we can just get you to walk like that till Jesus comes, we think we've done our job. Honestly. If all the church people just walk in line and if all the church people just sort of keep their head in the behind of the person in front of them and walk in a religious circle, we feel like we're doing God's will. I just want to tell you, I don't think that's what Jesus died for. I really don't think that's what we want to be the church for. I really don't think that's the point. 
And I really feel like God in heaven is looking down at us just wishing, wishing that we get tired enough of each other's behinds to raise our heads and decide to know something about God. Don't you just get tired of each other's behinds? You know what I'm saying? Don't you just get tired of following people? Don't you just ever want to lift up your head and maybe follow Christ? Maybe learn to know God? Honestly, in this church, we've got to stop following people. You just got to get tired of other people's behinds. Are you listening to me? And you got to decide to seek Christ, to know Christ, to get closer to him, to let him set your heart on fire. Something's got to happen in you. You cannot simply walk in this busy religious circle from now till Jesus comes and think that was the Christian life. That's not the Christian life. Now, honestly, as churches, sometimes we do that to you. Sometimes the reason that that we sort of move in circles and never get anywhere, we mistake movement for direction, and it's not the same thing. We, We sort of think that activity is accomplishment, and it's not the same thing. But you see that the church becomes this this institution that has to be fed. We have committees that that need people on them, and so we suck you in. And and we have a a preschool department that needs lots and lots of babysitters, and and we pull you in. And we end up with so much work that needs to be done, we just pull you in. And and honestly, in, in the best cases, the church should be doing the work of God, but sometimes... It's not the work of God. Sometimes it's just a religious circle, and we got you walking round and round and round. I'm begging you today just to stop. I'm begging you just to stop. To stop following people. Certainly don't follow me. Follow Christ. Seek Christ in your own life. Learn to know him. Learn to love him. Become a worshiper. Become a Bible reader. Become a person who lives their entire life wholeheartedly for Christ. Put your eyes on Christ. Sometimes it might be the church's fault. I'll grant you that. I would say that the church has one purpose according to Jesus himself, and that is to make disciples. The church is supposed to make disciples. That means we take people, we find people who are very far away from God, and we try to bring them closer to God, close to Christ, so that they can learn from him and become more like him. We are supposed to be making disciples. It's the only purpose of the church, to go into all the world, make disciples. So let me say this, in the moment when this church or any other church stops making disciples, it ceases to be a church. I don't care if it looks religious. I don't care if it says church on the sign. You understand? If we're not making disciples, that means if you and the people on your pew, if you and the people in your family If you and all the people you know at this church, if we're not each of us becoming more like Christ, if we're not each of us becoming stronger and more serious disciples, then this church is failing. It doesn't matter how much money we have in the budget for that matter. It doesn't matter how many churches we plant. If none of the churches we plant make disciples, we're wasting our time. Are y'all listening to me? Y'all are really quiet. Just like, you know, your head in the behind of the one in front of you. Nobody's really paying attention. Are you listening? 
If we're not making disciples, if you're not becoming a disciple of Jesus, then we're doing something wrong. We're failing. And whenever the church makes anything other than making disciples its top priority, the church is in trouble. God help us. Let that never be the situation for Woodburn Baptist Church. Are you with me? Let's make disciples. Let's become disciples. Let's seek Christ. We're not following one another. We're not following each other's rules. We're not trying to please one another. We're not trying to impress one another. We are here to please Christ, to know Christ, to learn about Christ. Everything else good that might come from the church would be just sort of icing on the cake. The purpose is to know Christ, to make disciples. Sometimes it's the church's fault. Sometimes you find yourself in a church that's not making disciples anymore. In that instance, I say get out. Find a church that's making disciples. Or you get in there and turn that church around and, and get it back on track. But one way or the other, a church that's not making disciples, it's not a church. It's not a church. God help us. We can't ever let that happen to us. Sometimes it's the church's fault. But now let me say this. A whole lot of the time... It's going to be my fault or your fault. We sort of love to blame the church. We sort of love to say, you know, well, I'm going to leave that church because I'm just not being fed. I'm not being fed. I'd love to have some words with you. Do you understand? It, it, it's, uh, we can't feed you if you won't eat. And you can walk around and whine and complain and say that it's somebody else's fault. But most of the time, it's your fault. Most of the time... This is up to you. It's up to you. And it's about commitment. I think it is something about United States culture. I think it's something about the way our brains are wired now. But we want reward. We want rewards for everything. Maybe it's got something to do with the fact that when you played soccer uh, when you were a kid, you got a ribbon for just showing up. If you never touched a ball, if you kicked a ball in the wrong go, you got a medal at the end of the season. I mean, we just sort of give people rewards for everything. And we all sort of realize that it's random, but we expect it. We like rewards. So now when people come to church, they want rewards up front. They want it all up front. They want to be sort of known and loved and treasured. They want to be very, very important in the church. If they're sick, they want everybody to come to them. They want the Sunday school class to sort of speak about the very things that they want to hear about. People just sort of want all the rewards up front. And I just need to tell you, God help you, if nobody's ever told you this before, reward follows commitment. Do you understand? Reward follows commitment. It's not the other way around. You don't make your commitment if you're being rewarded. You don't make your commitment if you're already getting everything you want. Reward follows commitment. You can't get anything out of anything until you put something in first. Does that make sense? And some people, that they come into a church, they come into their spiritual life, and they just expect rewards to flow toward them. Everything just needs to flow toward them conveniently and without any effort required. I'm telling you, your salvation is by grace and it has nothing to do with you. But if you're going to grow in the life of Christ, if you're going to become more like him every day, if you're going to have a rewarding spiritual life, it's going to take commitment on your part. It's going to take commitment. 
You've got to be serious about your spiritual life. You've got to realize that nobody can do this for you. Nobody can do this for you. You have to do some things yourself. Joshua chapter 24 is is Joshua's farewell to the people of God. Understand, before there was Joshua, there was the leader, Moses. I mean, these people have been blessed now for generations. They have had incredible singular leadership. Everyone surrounding and everyone listening to one leader who is speaking for God. I mean, it's, it's amazing to, to have your spiritual life somehow led by Joshua or led by Moses. But understand, this is the moment when everything's about to change. Joshua is saying farewell, and there really isn't going to be a singular spiritual leader to step in his place. The people are going to go to their homes. The people are going to be scattered throughout the promised land, and from that point on, guess what? Each person is going to be 100% responsible for their own spiritual life. After that point, it's not going to be Joshua up front saying, go this way, fight this battle, come with me. It's not going to be like that anymore. The people are going to have to take responsibility. That's the drama. That's the anxiety of this passage. Because the question is, what's going to happen to them? What's going to happen when they don't have Joshua to put them in a headlock and drag them into the promised land? What's going to happen when they have to go home and do it for themselves? What's going to happen? Well, let me ask you this. How's it going in your life? Do you understand that you are responsible for your spiritual life, if you're not growing as a Christian, if you're not growing in your knowledge of the word of God, if you're not growing in likeness of Christ, if you're not growing in the desire to serve, if you're not growing in evangelism, if you're not growing in all of the fruit of the spirit, if Christ is not working in you, do you understand whatever is broken is broken in you, it's you. We're talking about your commitment, your own responsibility for your spiritual life. And if your spiritual life is off track, you can look around for somebody to blame, but I'm telling you, that's a waste of time. Nobody else can do this for you. Nobody else can make a commitment for you. Yes, there's a time in your life when your parents put you in a headlock and drag you to church. It doesn't last forever. At some point, you're going to leave your parents' house and you're going to have to take responsibility for your spiritual life. Do you understand that? My goodness, it's part of the problems with the way we raise children and youth in in our churches because so often in a youth group, we give the idea that we're going to do everything for you. We'll plan your trips. We will read the Bible to you. We will spoon feed you. And then when the kids graduate from youth group, they're devastated because they were never prepared for the basic fact that one day you're going to be 100% responsible for your own spiritual life. You'll have to take yourself to church. You'll have to read the Bible for yourself. You will have to make promises and keep them before God. It's called commitment. And there is no growing spiritual life for you. There are no rewards of following Christ if you're not committed to Christ. Does that make sense? The reward follows commitment. Commitment. 
why Joshua says, fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates. Choose you this day, he says, whom you will serve. You see, commitment always has to do with, with the winnowing away of other choices. In some ways, when you make a commitment, you are eliminating other choices for as long as you live. When I stood at the altar at Woodburn Baptist Church and, and I got married to Casey Wilson, to my wife, when Casey and I got married, I said that I would keep myself only for her, forsaking all others, as long as we both shall live. You understand what I did there? Up to that point, I was a wild and crazy guy. You know, Up to that point, I just had my pick of all the ladies in Warren County. The ones with teeth, the ones without teeth, all of them. All of them available to me. But on that day, I made a commitment, and I said, from this point on, you're the only, only woman for me. I will forsake all others and keep myself only for you. Do you understand? It's a commitment. It's a commitment I made on that day, but it's a commitment that I continue to make in the present and in the future. I eliminated all the other options. I just simply said, I, I, I choose today. And this is how I will live my life, out of faithfulness to this promise. That's what a commitment is. And that's why Joshua says, you've got to choose. You, you've got to decide, are you going to worship God? Are you going to obey him? Because you can't have multiple allegiances in your life. You can only have one top priority. You can only have one highest priority. Let's be honest, that's why some of you are really uncomfortable with, with this sermon right now. It makes you uncomfortable. We talk about something like the Triple Two Challenge, something like you making changes in your life to put your life in Christ first. And honestly, that makes you very uncomfortable. Your mind just starts racing because, because tell us the truth, in your life, Top priority's already been assigned. It's already taken. You've already given top priority to something else, and it's not your life in Christ. It's not Christ. Top priority for you is already taken, and you recognize that, and that's why talking about serious commitment to the Lord really begins to make you uncomfortable. You ought to be uncomfortable. You need to rethink this. You cannot say that, that Christ is Lord of your life if he's not the highest priority in your life. If your job is more important, be honest. Go ahead and say that, but recognize that you will not get the rewards in the spiritual life if your job is most important. If your family's most important, recognize we all love our families, but our families cannot save our souls. Our families cannot provide the peace and joy, the forgiveness that we find in Christ. You can make your family highest priority, but you will not get the rewards in your spiritual life. Let's just be serious here. Either Christ is going to be your top priority or he's not. But Joshua said there's a point in your life when you're going to have to at least be honest about the decision you're making. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're following Christ if you're not. If he's not the highest priority, if he's not Lord of everything, then he's not Lord at all. Choose today, Joshua says. Do you see, the danger for us in our lives is that we try to have a lot of top priorities. 
We try to make everything of equal importance, and it's very, very important. And our problem when it comes to commitment is that most of us are overcommitted. We're overcommitted. You think about two hours of service, and you think, my goodness, when would I find the time? I'm telling you, you'll have to cut something out. How about television? Wheel of Fortune should not be a high priority. Do you understand? Do you understand that, that, that our grandparents in the faith at Woodburn Baptist Church, at the turn of the century, going into the year 1900, guess how much money they had in the treasury? Woodburn Baptist Church, December 31st, 1899. How much money do you think they brought into the last century? 52 cents. The amount of money in Woodburn Baptist Church treasury at the beginning of the last century was 52 cents. Look what the Lord did with 52 cents. Look what God has done with 52 cents. You know what the difference is? The difference is the people had 52 cents, but then they put their whole self in. Do you understand? It's not just the money. It's the commitment level of the people. Do you realize that they would come to church and they didn't really care what time they went home? Because guess what? Your grandma did not care about getting home to watch Grey's Anatomy. It didn't matter. It wouldn't have crossed her mind. There's something really, really wrong with us. We think we don't have time, and yet we have more 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 actual leisure time than any other generations in history. We waste more time than our grandparents could have imagined in a day. Don't say you don't have time. It's just that you're overcommitted. You try to cram way too much into this short life that you have, and you can't do it all. You can't have it all. You're going to have to learn to say no to some things. Unfortunately, for many of us, we say no to the things of God. We say no to our Bibles. We say no to prayer. We say no to serving others. We say no to all the things we should be saying yes to. You see, overcommitment is the enemy of quality commitment. You try to spread yourself out. You try to be involved in everything at school and everything at work and everything in your community. You try to be the chairman of every board. You try to be active in every PTA meeting. And I'm telling you, you spread yourself so thin. Your commitment means almost nothing. Nobody can count on you. We have no idea where you're going to be because you're so overcommitted. You're really not committed to anything at all. You leave your options open. Joshua says, if you're serious about commitment, there's going to have to be a, a closing of options. You, you make up your mind. You, you decide if God's going to be a top priority or he's not, but at least be serious about the choice you're making. I was coming from Bowling Green back to church one day, hot summer day. And uh, I know y'all look at me and you think, man, that, that guy's awesome. He's not afraid of anything. Well, I'll tell you I am. Uh, I'm really scared of bees, wasps, bees, anything with a stinger. It's not that they'll hurt me, they'll make me hurt myself. Uh, man, I just go nuts. So I'm driving down the road, I'm going 55, 60 miles an hour to 31W, and I just hear zzz, I can hear it, I can hear it. And I know there's a bee in this car. There's a bee in this car. Now the moment I realize there's a bee in the car, I, I am basically a crazy man. I'm crazy because at this point, I have one thing on my mind, and what is it? Find the bee. 
Yeah, find the B. And so uh, remember, my car is still sailing down 31W at 55, probably 60, 65 miles an hour now because I'm not thinking about driving. Probably I just floored it because I'm not thinking. I'm just looking around the car. You know, I'm crawling over into the back seat trying to find the B. And then guess what? Then the B finds me. And then what happens? I just think about that movie I watched in the 70s about the killer bees coming up out of Mexico. And all of a sudden, I'm just... I'm just, you know, this bee is crazy, so I'm rolling down the window, and I'm trying to find something to sort of bat the bee out the window. All the while, I'm still driving toward you, understand? I'm, I guess I'm driving toward you. Who knows where I'm driving? I, I could be going through a field. I could be driving through Dollar General store. I have no idea, and that's the point I'm making. When this bee comes in, suddenly, I forget what's supposed to be in my top priority. I'm driving here. I'm in a car sailing down the road at 60 miles an hour. This should be the only thing on my mind, but it's not. I'm swatting bees, people. Isn't that so much like your life? There's one thing that matters, and that's Christ. There's one thing that matters. And that is your spiritual life, your life of sanctification, your life of commitment to Christ. It's the only thing that matters. But the devil will make sure that at any point when you might actually get serious about your life in Christ, the devil will always send to you a swarm of bees. You understand? He will always send you distractions. And in your life, the real key to success in every area of your life, but especially your spiritual life, the key to success is recognizing what are priorities and what are distractions. You recognize what are priorities and what are distractions. You pour yourself into priorities and you let the distractions go. You pour yourself into what matters and you let the distractions go. Choose you this day whom you will serve, Joshua says. Whether it's going to be the gods of your ancestors, the gods of the Amorites, but... But as for me and my house, me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. I know you people. I know your hearts. I know that there is a part of you that really loves the Lord. I know that in your minds, you're always intending to do better. You're always intending to sharpen that commitment. You're going to do it later, and that's your thinking. I'll do that later. When I can get off of second or third shift, then I'll be faithful and, and then I'll get really serious. I'll, I'll go to church after I can get off this third shift or, or I will probably be more active in serving the Lord once, once this travel ball season is over. Seriously, it's just the travel ball right now that sort of got us pulled aside. But when that is over, we're, we're going to be back. The problem is you never come back. Do you understand? Later never comes. You tell yourself, you know, I'll get really serious in serving the Lord once I'm out of high school. Right now I'm just a high school kid. I'm just going to have fun now. I'll do it. I'll do it later. In college, in college, I'll, I'll find a Christian fellowship and I really get serious about serving the Lord. The problem is in college it doesn't happen either. And then you're thinking, well, when I get married, when I get married, then I'll get really serious about following the Lord. When, when I get married, I'll marry a good Christian man or a good Christian woman and, and we're really going to put Christ first. When we get married, the problem is you get married and it doesn't happen. 
happen because then you say, you know, when we have children, when we have children, then we'll, we want to raise our children in the church. We'll make sure when we have kids, we're going to find a good church. And then you have kids, but that doesn't happen then either. Do you understand? You only have a very short amount of time in this life. And this life is the only chance you get to serve the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? This life is all you have. And then you stand before Christ in the life to come. There's no later you're not going to do this later. You need to decide to do it now. Is Christ going to be the priority? Are you going to choose today? I'm telling you, you're already choosing today. You're making your choice. If Christ is not most important. Something else is. At least be honest about it. Don't continue to walk in this blind religious circle. Call it church and think you're pleasing Christ. Put it off till later. I'm telling you, later never comes. It just never comes. What you have is today. What you have is today. Funny thing about commitments. You make them in the present, but you have to keep them in the future. You see what I'm saying? You make a commitment in the present, in this moment today, but you have to keep it in the future. That means that in the realest sense, time is the real test of your faithfulness. It is time that is the real test of your commitment. Time is all you have. And to be real honest, none of us has that much time. So I just want to give you a healthy reminder. You're making choices, friends. You're making choices. You're, you're setting priorities. And in some cases, you're chasing distractions. I want to call you back to a place called commitment. I want to call you back to a place where it's not you and the church. It's not you and everybody else. It's just you before Christ. I want to call you back to just you before Christ. And I want to call you back to a real commitment. Is he going to be Lord of your life? then there are a lot of distractions you need to let go. You're saying yes to too many things. You're saying no to some of the wrong things. Choose today who you're going to serve. Joshua says, as for me, my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So who are you going to serve? Pray with me. Lord God, the best reason for us to even consider commitments to you is when we step back and look at your commitment to us. Oh God, you're so faithful to us. Even when we forget about you, you never forget about us. Even when, Lord, we walk away from you, you never walk away from us. Even when we close our hearts to your presence, you never, ever take your presence away from us. Even when we shut our ears to your voice, you never stop whispering in our ears. Oh, Lord God, you are so faithful to us. We are the recipients of so many blessings, so many good things. God, help us to have a heart full of gratitude, a heart that is willing to stop and look back and then look forward and make a new commitment. 
Jesus, we don't have to do these things to earn our salvation. We can't do anything to make you love us more, and we can't do anything to make you love us less. You love us. You accept us. Lord Jesus, because you're so good to us, we long to please you. We long to serve you. God, I pray for hearts in this place today. I pray for men and women who have made the top priority something in their life that's not worthy of that place. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give them grace and courage and strength today to put you at the top and rearrange all other priorities. Lord, I pray for the people in this church who are so distracted, Lord, by the swarm of things that the world continues to buzz in our face. Lord Jesus, help us to focus on you as priority and let the distractions go. Whatever it takes, Lord Jesus, we want to walk with you and follow you and be your disciples. Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would sweep through the overflow and sweep through this house and sweep through the Franklin campus and stir Christian people to a new and solid commitment, real commitment. Nobody else can do it for us, Lord. So we stand before you now alone, looking into your face, Lord Jesus, giving you once again our whole hearts. Lord Jesus, take our whole hearts. Pray these things in your holy name. Amen.